majestic sound means it's time for History Matters. We are joined in the studio by the majestic Scott Washington, historian extraordinaire, to uh, take us back through this week in history. Good morning. Well, good morning, Aaron, and it's always a joy to be here at the majestic uh, Trinsic Aura Studios, uh, and it's just, and with you, I can't think of better company. So oh, thanks. Uh, this is a great week that uh, has some really interesting highlights. Um, everybody knows about Amelia Earhart, and this is a week when actually uh, she is uh, known for getting her pilot's license on May 15th, 1922. Now we think of women pilots, here's Amelia Earhart, but there is another woman who is probably less well-known, but who actually exceeds now what, she, what Amelia Earhart does. Now, Amelia Earhart had great publicity. She had a husband who was also extremely good at making sure she got that publicity, and then she disappears and uh, is still in the annals of legend. Where did she go with her co-pilot uh, somewhere in the South Pacific? Well, and, you know, there's questions that still swirl, and every so often somebody says, oh, we think we found the wreckage and that mm. kind of thing. Uh, there's another woman whose birthday comes up this week, May 11th, um, Jacqueline Cochran, 1906. She lives to 1980 and better known as Bessie Lee Pittman. Um, what's really interesting is she's the first civilian to be awarded the U.S. Distinguished Service Medal, the first woman to break the sound barrier, that was in 1953, and the first woman to break Mach 2. I mean, that's going excessively fast and the first woman to pilot a bomber across the North Atlantic in 1941 mm. when it was not necessarily the safest place Correct. to be. And uh, that's when we were trying to bring planes over to England, flying from Canada uh, there. I mean, that was dangerous mission, and not everybody succeeded, mm. but she did. Uh, and so this is kind of an interesting person that I, I like to highlight because we think of Amelia Earhart, but there were so many other women who were doing first. Yeah. And, um, so and also like Amelia Earhart was like, she made her name and she did her, yes. like she accomplished all of her achievements in the twenties and thirties. Jacqueline right. Cochran comes a little bit later. That's Jacqueline right. Cochran was the first woman inducted into the aviation hall of fame. Is so there something? was a period yes. when the aviation hall of fame had bypassed Amelia Earhart and right. said, we were going to recognize Jacqueline Cochran right. first because of all of her significant exactly, accomplishments. Exactly, which yeah. were, that it, it wasn't that she didn't build on what was happening, but Exceeded she herself it. accomplished. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, and, and that helps, you know, when we think of things happening, so much of our internet age is shaped in the last 20 years. And it's like, wait a minute, there is uh, a lot of other, there are a lot of other people that have come before us uh, that have allowed us to be who we are and to soar to new heights. And I think that's something that's uh, worth mentioning. Now, there's another thing that we always like to do, which is the origins of things. And um, one that popped up this week is May 9th, 1950. And it's about a, um, a bear cub that was rescued from a New Mexico fire. And I was thinking about it because these wildfires that are burning in New Mexico supposedly started, you know, as a fire prevention and they've gotten out of hand. Right. Well, um, just to go back a little ways, 1942, lots of first responders as we would know them uh, today uh, are now engaged in the war effort. And so the danger of fires is really becoming an issue. And in fact, even our coast is, there is some targeting uh, by the Japanese to actually firebomb uh, areas. And so they begin a campaign and think, what are we going to do? And in 1944, they launched this campaign about 
this bear, Smokey Bear. Not the bear, that becomes part of a song, but Smokey Bear. Mm -hmm. And so for the next few uh, years, this is, uh, you know, you can do your part. We've all grown up with this. Well, in 1950, uh, in New Mexico, a, a bear is rescued from a fire and um, they name him Smokey Bear, and he comes to the National Zoo, and for the next uh, number of years until uh, 1979, he is the bear that people identify as Smokey Bear. In fact, he gets so much fan mail, they ha- actually, the post office sets up its own zip code, <laughs> <laughs> which is just great. But, you know, we think of the origin. This is a case of uh, life imitating art that a great promotional campaign. In fact, Congress even copyrighted the image and the uh, the everything around Smokey Bear because they didn't want it just being used uh, willy-nilly for other commercial purposes. Who writes fan mail to a bear? Like, what do you put <laughs> oh, in that come letter? come on now. Every kid. What do you put in that Smokey letter, bear. though? <laughs> Dear Smokey, how are you? I am fine. I would like to give you my wish list and for Christmas. Of course. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, there's. So I suppose that could be happen with the Easter Bunny and uh, Santa Claus and Smokey Bear. But people, you know, especially kids, this is a, a great... Uh, campaign to help people be aware and to be cognizant of uh, what they were doing with fire. And I, you know, it's inventive, but then they actually had a life symbol. And then the, I didn't know that the, like the, the, the name Smokey Bear existed before the, the bear cub was yes. rescued. So yes. the bear cub was rescued and then we just kind of adopted him as Smokey. Well, and also it looks like there was a fellow, um, that was a New York uh, firefighter whose nickname was Smokey. Okay. Uh, and it's spelled M- S-M-O-K-E-Y. E-Y, yep. And that's how that name gets associated. He was uh, did a lot of uh, rescue in a 1922 fire, and this was something that was remembered. And they said, well, what are we going to call it? Well, and of Smokey. course, we can think of fires and smoke. Those kind of go right, together. Right, right. But that is assumed to be possibly the origin of how that Smokey is a good name for a bear. (laughs) Well, especially this little scrapper that was rescued from the fire and uh, the family that rescued him, it was a firefighter, they kept them in in their house for a little bit. Oh, wow. It's a little cub. It's a really tiny cub. And then they kind of grew and they said, well, maybe this needs to go somewhere else. Yeah, maybe not. No longer in the house. Like, we got to expand. Okay, well, there's something else that happens that is, I think, kind of interesting for North Carolina, um, and it's it, to go back a ways. You know, we have the end of the 16th century, the Lost Colony, and then people start coming to the Carolinas. Except the Carolinas were not North and South Carolina. It was one big uh, ownership of land by these Lord proprietors, uh, and that was all well and good until around 1719. Charleston was, or Charles Town, two words. Uh, was this one capital of this large territory. You know, it's like the California of the East Coast. Right. And um, they decided uh, in 1719, the king decides, you know, I think this would be better as a royal colony. <laughs> and I want to get the taxes from it. So exactly. basically uh, purchases this from the Lord proprietors. Well, surprise, surprise, are they going to say no to the king? And so South Carolina becomes this new state in North Carolina is like secondary, mm-hmm. um, but the Lord proprietors relent with exception of uh, the Earl of Granville, um, but that takes some time. And in 1729 is when North Carolina really becomes its own 
royal colony as well. Yeah, think about it. Yeah, think about it, like North Carolina's taking significant precedence over South Carolina now in terms of population, but that's, <laughs> that's fairly right. recent development, right? That's, like well, within, you in, think in, so. in the last like several decades. Yes, so except that yeah. at the uh, beginning of the uh, 18th century is when uh, we have the exploration uh, by John Lawson going mm-hmm. into the Carolinas, and he writes about in 1702, it's published in 1709, it excites the imagination, and eventually you see this gradual increase so that by the 1760s, North Carolina has the largest population. Oh, was uh, it that early? Yes, okay. yes, and that's where you get immigration from all over the place. And of course, Governor Dobbs in the 1750s is so instrumental, uh, and he was born in Ireland, and yet he's gra- <laughs> encouraging people all these people coming from Scotland and Ireland hearing about this, oh, that's the colony to go to, and you see a sudden migration making this a very popular state. Speaking with uh, Scott Washington, History Matters, uh, we've got time for one more. What's your last one? Okay. Uh, this one is a uh, that comes up on uh, May 12th, uh, and anybody's ever been to a doctor will have dealt with nurses. It's International Nurses Day. And it's also celebrated on May 12th because that's the birthday of Florence Nightingale, who was born in 1820. Now, Florence Nightingale is a really fascinating woman. We we think, okay, nursing, isn't that something? Well, that was not all she did. She uh, brought a kind of a sense of order and systematic approach to nursing that wasn't there before. Uh, In the Crimean War, uh, she's born in Florence, uh, Italy, uh, the Tuscany region, and then uh, to a British family. Um, she goes to school. Her family is very much against her becoming nurses because at that time they just didn't have the kind of reputation. Uh, she goes and uh, during the Crimean War, she's the one with going making rounds, the woman with the the, the torch, uh, making sure that everyone's uh, being cared for. And then as she goes on, she's big about. Uh, making sure that there are sanitary conditions, Mm -hmm. which I was really surprised to learn that that was so important when she realized, wait a minute, this is more than just patching up people. What are we doing to make sure that we have uh, good conditions for people to live in? So she becomes a strong advocate for that. And um, in fact, I believe that the... um, she gets an award for for this uh, as much as anything. And then there was something else that she was really brilliant at. She was one of those people that had a great mind for numbers, but not just numbers, but being able to present them in a compelling way. Like we think of the pie chart, she's the one who actually popularizes this. And also graphical, you know, anything that was a graphical way of looking at numbers, She's the one who does this in her presentations. Now, I found that one really interesting. You think Florence Nightingale? Huh. One <laughs> never, never knows. Think, I never think of this as the master of PowerPoint before there's a PowerPoint. It's got to be someone. Yes. It might as well be Florence Nightingale. <laughs> if she had a TED Talk, she would be able to have those graphics on the screen saying, this is how many people died of this. This is how many people we saved. And uh, that's why history matters. Not only the origins of things, but people who are so good helping us understand why it matters too, like Florence Nightingale. And that's how history matters. Scott Washington, thank you as always so much.